So I made it through 10 chapters doing a commentary on War and Peace. This will be the first recitation or recap episode. Thus far, it has taken 12 episodes to get through 10 chapters. In terms of the grand scope of the project, there are 361 total chapters of War and Peace. Each chapter averages 4 pages. Every 3.5 chapters completed is about 1% of the book. So every 7 chapters is roughly 2% of the book. So right now, with all this work, I've roughly covered 3% of the book. At this rate, I'm expecting completion of this project in 2035 or something like that. I may need some help, so if you want to cover a chapter, find a way to contact me. Especially if you have a love for the book and a basic knowledge of audio editing, Adobe Audition, or Audacity. So what have the first 10 chapters done, do you think? Has it sank its hooks into the reader, making them want to continue on? So far, I would say no. It's included a lengthy introduction of the major characters and families that the novel revolves around. On the very first page, it introduces Napoleon, the great force of history that reshaped Europe in a way that many in Russian society, especially the protagonists, admire. The book is, in some respect, trying to get a grip on this indescribable force that went too far when he decided to invade Moscow. After the Battle of Borodino, he couldn't beat people in a major city that wouldn't fight back against him. Instead, the Russians used, famously, nature, geography, to aid them in counterattacking when Napoleon retreated after spending a couple weeks in their capital city. Historically, Napoleon's army deserted him, and the retreat was dreadful. The book deals with the struggles of all elements of society whose life was upended by the horrors of war, but principally highlights the aristocracy, as that was the class he was from. Over the first few chapters, there's a series of society events that reflects the author's status. Tolstoy was a count in real life, and there are fictional counts in the book, along with historic military personages that are mentioned in the first few chapters. Of course, Napoleon, as well as his adversary, General Kutuzov, who is not well known in Western circles, but is extraordinarily well-regarded in military circles. Tolstoy was writing of events about 50 or 60 years previous to his writing of it. To him, the years between 1805 and 1812 were the pivotal moments in history. If our Vietnam War was like our Revolutionary War, and a novelist took it up 60 years later, that would be a comparable analogy. In looking for a comparable book in the United States that defines the American experience and the American character, you would probably have to look at Mark Twain, who brilliantly described the 19th century, the same period that Tolstoy wrote about Russia, with a very sharp comedic edge. As Twain was focusing on problems of the day here, Tolstoy was examining a period of great change, of increased education, of serfs being freed from their estates, of Napoleon's ideas of merit. Napoleon was such the marvel of the world in Russian society that two of their truly great novels, both War and Peace and Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky, have Napoleon as their axis, which the world pretty much revolves around. So, to deal with the literal conflict that Napoleon created, Tolstoy created memorable characters, 
families that dwelt within that critical period of roughly 1805 to just past 1812. As for who is the main character, you could argue that it's between Pierre Besukov and Andriy Belkonsky. Most would say Pierre, and many would rank him with some of the great characters of literature, such as Cervantes's Don Quixote, Shakespeare's Macbeth, Hamlet, John Falstaff, or many others, Tom Sawyer, or Huckleberry Finn, Sidney Carton, or Oliver Twist. You get the idea. So we'll start with him. Pierre Bezukhov is the illegitimate son of the richest man in the book, Count Kirill Bezukhov. Count Kirill is introduced as very sick. All signals point to him dying in the near future and having and having to decide what to do with his immense wealth. And his wealth consists of owning property the size of modern states or small countries. It's said that he owns millions of acres and is in control of something like 40,000 serfs. Some of this land, you will learn, is in modern-day Ukraine. There are some inconsistencies with regard to Pierre's age, but the early chapters note that his father sent Pierre off to study in Europe with a tutor, and Pierre stayed in some of the great cities of Europe for about 10 years, and then he returned to Moscow. So let's say he's about 20 when the book begins, maybe a little older. From being in Europe, Pierre is affected by a sense of emperor worship, Napoleon, of course. He awkwardly sticks up for Napoleon in a political conversation in one of the first few chapters. He makes a bit of a fool of himself in bringing the conversation to an unbearable uncomfortableness. Much of the society in St. Petersburg is forecasting Napoleon is a great threat, but Pierre sees him as a force of great progress. Pierre is essentially a large man with a big heart, and Tolstoy is consumed with good-hearted characters. Pierre is a bit wayward in that he's unsure what he wants to do with his future, sort of like a modern-day college kid with a lot of prospects. Moving on to Prince André, he is the stately prince. He's polished from a noble family. He has title. There's no questions of any illegitimacy. He was married fairly recently, and his wife is pregnant, so he's going to be a dad for the first time. Everything is lined up for him, but something is missing. And that something will be finding some level of personal glory, and he thinks he's going to find that through going off to war. Prince André is joining the coalition to go fight against Napoleon, and it will be a very rough 1805. It's important to remember that he's leaving. He's leaving his young wife behind voluntarily because he strongly wants to go make a name for himself or just be part of something big and historic. Something Machiavelli pointed out centuries before, all men want. André's wife, Lise, thinks that's very unfair. She's being left behind with André's father and sister. She's angry, she feels put off and dismissed. André is also quite an admirer of Napoleon, but he's much more diplomatic among company. We also met the Rostov family of Moscow. We're introduced to a contingent of adolescents, children, young adults of the Rostov household. Tolstoy did not keep their ages straight because when he was writing this in the 19th century, cross-referencing such a large book was not as easy a task as it is today. There's Count Ilya Rostov and his wife. Ilya is described as an affable sort, 
somewhat simple, but a loving and devoted family man and father. His wife, Natasha, is fairly serious. She was introduced imparting some parental wisdom that was fairly timeless, namely to try not to have your children keep secrets, as then they're more prone to going behind their parents' back. She strived to be her daughter Natasha's first confidant. Natasha was introduced approximately the age of 13, and even though she's not the oldest, she does seem to be somewhat of the leader in terms of her energy and youthful enthusiasm and confidence. There was the Rostov son, Nikolai. His age is a bit of a mystery. There are inconsistencies in the book. Some sources say he's about 20, but the book also points out the eldest Rostov daughter was 17. From context, it looks like he's about 16. He's said to be a university student who left to get a position in the army. He's going to be a Hussar of the Pavlograd Hussars. This is a famous light cavalry division that wore very fancy blue uniforms that would kind of remind you of what you would see in a halftime show in a marching band at a college football game. Boris is also part of the household. He's the same age as Nikolai. He is not a sibling, but still a relative. Importantly, Boris was able to get a position in the Imperial Guard, which is a better position than even Nikolai received. And this was through the works of Boris's mother, Princess Drubetskaya, who even though she lost all her connections and wealth, she did what she could to advance her son. And in the next ten chapters, she's going to take up the cause of Pierre to protect him from another family you've heard a little bit about, the Karagans. Petya, or Peter Rostov, was also introduced. He was the youngest Rostov child. He seems to be a little boy following around everybody else, bouncing and bringing everybody joy. There's also Sonia, who has another cousin-type relationship with the family and grew up in the household. And Sonia is very devoted and loves Nikolai, while Natasha feels the same way towards Boris. Natasha and Boris shared a kiss, and agreed to get married in about four years. And Nikolai did profess his love for Sonia very deeply after Sonia became jealous after she saw Nikolai flirting with Julie Karagin at one of the nightly soirees. The Rostovs have a beautiful mansion in a stately part of Moscow. They have clear and obvious expectations of the good lives that their children should live, but the war of war and peace will upend that. One of the great problems humanity faces, which Tolstoy gets at brilliantly, is that war always seems on the horizon. So Pierre, Prince Andrei, his wife, all the Rostovs, those characters are presented as good figures. Prince Andrei hasn't treated his wife the best, that must be admitted, but he has traditional characteristics to advance himself along with the rest of society. He wants what all men thought to be of proper motivation would want, to build a better world. He wants to be where the action is, in the great fights of the day. He has a yearning to see war, something he has only heard talk about. Moving on to the Kuragans. Now they in that family have more characteristics you could describe as familiar and base. Always looking for an angle, being a playboy, using whatever connections they have. Elaine, the daughter, for example, is looked upon as one of the most beautiful women in St. Petersburg. She could turn every head in the room, 
but little thus far is said about her character. Anatole is the playboy. He seems like a lot of fun. He hosted the most fun party depicted in the first 10 chapters where all the guys were drinking, gambling, and teasing a bear, an actual bear one of his friends brought in. And there is the father, Count Vasily, who is eyeing to inherit the immense wealth of Pierre's father. There is a relationship between Count Bezukhov and Prince Vasily's wife that seems to put him in line to inherit. And if you think about it, every good book needs someone like Anatole, the playboy bachelor rich kid who goes about marauding. If you want to have a wild night out, go to Anatole's. You'll be in store for a night of debauchery, cards, drinking, singing, prop bets. Probably the most memorable example from the first ten chapters was when Anatole's good friend Dolokhov got into some type of bet where the boys destroyed the window pane and he sat with his legs out of it and somehow balanced the bottle while he was drinking the whole thing, which was probably a ton of alcohol, while everybody laughed and cheered. The interesting thing about Dolokhov is he is one of the few people we have seen who was not and never was part of the aristocracy. He's the first self-made man we meet. He has a knack for gambling. He's thought to be very wild. He's allowed to live with Anatole. And most people who hang out with the two would rather hang with Dolokhov. He will be at the center of any bet or any good fight. And he always seems to win. So you wonder. Usually in those days, the only way a gambler consistently won was if they cheated. Tolstoy may have created Dolokhov from his own personal experiences, as gambling is said to have taken quite a sum from Tolstoy throughout his life, but especially when he was a young man at about 20. Dolokhov really brought the fun to the first 10 chapters. He won the bet, then he enticed everybody to go out. They were going to meet some women they called actresses, and on their way, they had taken that bear in the carriage with them and were spotted by the local authorities. A police officer, who probably saw that they were carrying on too loudly or doing something wrong, got involved, told them to be orderly, and in response, Pierre, Dolokhov, Anatole, they tied that bear to the police officer and threw them both into the river. Years after anybody reads this book, that is one of the literary moments that will continue to stand out. And that should be a good way to end this recitation episode of the first 10 chapters of War and Peace. Thank you for joining me.